Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I am thrilled to welcome back Impex Beverages as the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor. Each month, we'll be talking about a new set of single casks, maybe feature a chosen distillery or single casks from a chosen distillery. For November, the focus is on Glen Allocky. Listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings. And now, a brand new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. I think with this episode, we've officially entered the 70-episode range. I'll double-check with you and have that in the intro. But I am thrilled on this episode to go over to Wisconsin once again. It's been a few... uh, been a while since we've gone over there and we are talking with renee bemis of driftless glens renee welcome well thank you very much i appreciate you having me on the show i'll look forward to it happy to have you on i've uh been kind of circling driftless glen for a while now with uh friends in wisconsin the upper midwest and uh other distilleries i've been speaking to in wisconsin too and um they all say you know if you talked to driftless glen yet <laughs> so finally i decided okay it's time so Glad we could get the schedule. We're kind of a little gem up there, hidden away in Baraboo, Wisconsin. You know, people aren't really familiar with that section of uh, Wisconsin, but it's it's wonderful. It's a great spot. Well, well, you know, the spot where you are, we'll definitely be talking about that a little bit because uh, I'm I'm fascinated by climate and all that with when it comes to whiskey and spirits. Sure. So, um, but let's, uh, you know, I I try to get to uh, kind of chart these out so that we don't ask too many of the same questions because, you know, you've been on podcasts before and <laughs> want to make sure it's not, you know, the same or anything like that. Exactly. Okay. But um, just in case people hadn't heard, I do always want to give the chance for the origin story. So how did Driftless then begin? Uh, well, actually, it's a fun story. My husband is a car dealer. Uh, I'm an artist. And one of the people that worked for Brian was a marketing fellow. And Brian and this person has have done many different projects together marinas cable stations that sort of thing and he actually came to brian in 2011 and said i think we should open a distillery and at the time we were like well we don't know anything about a distillery so um he's like well for three million dollars and we'll go 50 50 we can open a distillery and within two years we'll be you know making money i went okay <laughs> well, we have an acronym, my husband and I have, it's called BAM. It means bring another million because three million didn't do it. Um, the fellow when, um, so we had, uh, Dave Pickerel was our consultant, helped us design the still, help us design the distillery. Um, it's a Vendome stills, a 44 foot continuous column and a 550 gallon um, pot still. And so we opened the doors, we built everything, we opened the doors in 2014, and we bought our partner out completely um, at the beginning of 15. And so we've owned it since then. And um, we've been going strong since. So everything you taste, we actually have created. We've not sourced anything. We made that decision. Um, So we've gone through the pain and suffering of putting it up and letting it age and then bringing it to um, to market. So that's uh, kind of the story in the nutshell of how we became a distillery. And, and Baraboo was because of uh, actually our partner at the time, he had researched it and it was about the terroir, which you're going to ask me about later. Yep. So I'll tell you about <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. Perfect. 
So uh, I'm I'm fascinated to ask about about Dave Pickrell's uh, input and his influence on there. Um, but at the same time, but before we get to to Dave, just when you were thinking about opening a distillery and what it was going to be like to build it before Dave even came on board, perhaps what did the uh, kind of Wisconsin distilling scene look like at that time? You know, who did you look to for inspiration? You know, we were such neophytes. We didn't look at anybody. There were not many. Um, I think uh, there were just a couple distilleries at the time. Um, and cause we started in building it in 12 in 2012. Mm -hmm. So there are only a few that were even distilling at the time. And we really didn't look at that. I mean, we went into it as a business that was um, completely, um, to be quite honest, like I said, we were in fights. We really didn't dive into what the business, what you needed to do to be successful. Um, mm -hmm. Our motto was go big or go home. So we got a big still. We got, we, we figured we were going to, we looked at the numbers and we said, hey, we have to produce this much to be able to sell this much down the line to be able to make this much money to, to keep it going. Um, so we made that conscious decision to go big. Um, we made lots of mistakes in the beginning. Um, and I'll tell you, a, a interesting mistake is with Vendome. So our partner at the time, he was supposed to be um, up at the distillery. We were silent, not really going to be involved in it, in the sense of the running of it. So we, like I said, we built the whole place um, and our ceilings are 26 foot tall. So we did that because we, our partner said that the, the still was 16 foot. He didn't hear it was 60 foot. Mm. <laughs> so when the contractor called us, he said, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Okay. So we had to get in touch with Vendome and they ended up, and we could only go up 44 feet because that was the limit of, of Baraboo and within the city limits. So we actually built, like we call it our own church steeple. We had to build another section for this still. It's actually quite beautiful when you look at it. Um, but we call Vendome and they actually cut the still and put the upper part um, horizontally and the beer wells, I think are up there. And anyway, the new design is how they create them now moving forward. They, when re redesigning it, they realized it was more efficient. So um, it was one of the, we have a lot of mistakes that happened that ended up being positive, but that was one of them. So yeah, they're one of those bam moments. <laughs> very true. Very true. I'm thinking about it. I, I heard you mention that on another podcast that the, you know, it was, basically crowed over um in the still and i was thinking about it and uh you just said that it became not only a vendom adopted that yes a style that they do but that it's more efficient yes and i hadn't thought of it before but is it simply because you don't have to push the spirit as high you can go horizontal instead so you're not fighting gravity i think there's some of that there's something to do with the way they um Honestly, the, that part of it is not my forte, but um, that's got something to do with it, that it's pushing it a certain way and then it goes this way. Um, and there's some sort of element just makes it, it's more efficient. 
And I mean, it has to be because Vendome has sort of, I think if you go on, they'll tell you that they do it this way. I mean, if you have a small column, that would be one thing, but a larger column like ours. So we do have a continuous column. We did it with the idea that if you wanted to run three shifts, you'd be able to, um, we'd be able to, and we could do close to, I don't know, five, 6,000 barrels a year. We don't, we only run one shift because we have five fermenting tanks um, and we can only do so much. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, barrel storage. We've got three rack houses. We just built up another warehouse. It's, you know, storage. So that's kind of a problem. Sure. And uh, we're going to, well, uh, I'll hit on the storage in a second. Um, you'll find I, I love doing research for these episodes because yeah. again, then I can ask some, some different okay. questions, you know? Okay. So, so you first, you know, you, you're the first producing in 14, you open the doors in 15, um, right, right about now you've got, you know, a couple of years later, you've got 6,000 ish barrels. Well, we've done close to 8,000, but we have about 6,000 aging. Yeah. Or maybe it's okay. a little less than that. Um, we, like I said, we can, we do about 1200 a year, 1200 barrels. Mm -hmm. Our first year we started off, we did a few 30 gallons. Um, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say a few, maybe a thousand. No, maybe not that much. I don't know. Our first year. But then we went to 53. So we only have 53 gallon barrels now. So we, when we run a, um, when we do a distillation, we get about nine to 10 barrels per run. And so that's why I said we, we run about 120 days, get 1200 barrels. Um, and we take off some time in the really, really cold months because you don't want things to freeze. And then also sometimes in the really hot, although we didn't have that terrible of a summer this summer, but in the heat of the summer, we might take a week or two off just so they don't have to run the coolant. Right. But um, yeah. And being a still house with uh, some putting off, you know, 170, 200 degree heat. Right. Yeah. Right. Those guys are sweating back there. I know, uh, yeah. but it does smell good. <laughs> it, if you don't get too close to the guys, I'm, it smells delicious. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, so with, I'm, I'm, I got to look at this still a little more now because I'm, I'm, again, I'm fascinated by the stuff. But um, I do now want to bring in, you know, you're designing it. At, at what point in the process did Dave Pickerel come on as a consultant? Well, he came on in the in the very beginning to help design the whole back to end of the. Um, distillery. So he designed the, um, the, how the pipes were the, I mean, he didn't, again, somehow there was a miscommunication between him and our partner at the time of the, I'm sure he told him it was 60 foot, but he heard 16 foot. Um, but, you know, he helped us designing where the fermenting tanks are, where the um, uh, mash cooker and where everything, where, how everything tied in. And he, um, he came up to the distillery for a couple of days when we were first putting it together. And then he was up there to help us with our initial um, formula mm -hmm. and help us run this still to begin with. He trained our guys to begin with. Um, since then, of course, we've done more. We've got different, well, one of the guys is still there that he actually uh, trained back in 14. Um, but we, we have different formulas. We've tweaked them. We've added different um, enzymes or yeast or things like that. But yeah, 
but uh, he helped us with all of that in the very beginning. That was way back in 14. It's uh, I mentioned him too, because it's been a while since I've talked to someone who's kind of a Dave Pickerel affiliated right. uh, distillery. I spoke with a few that were affiliated with him early on in the podcast's existence. And then I kind of went into a Jim Swan phase for a while. And then, <laughs> um, so coming back around to Dave, but uh, that leads into something else that you have remarkable uh, retention in your people. Yes. And, uh, you know, Dave, um, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but having the direct connection of someone he, he trained still at the distillery is notable because, um, you know, in the older generation of distillers, let's say the from the big guys, you know, the Freddie knows the obviously the Jimmy and Eddie Russell's they've been there for decades right. and will never be anywhere else. <laughs> right. Um, but in the craft distilling movement, in the younger distilleries and, you know, Driftless Land is of the newer generation. Right. Um, the, the employment loyalty is not exactly there the same way. And you Ours see a lot is. of movement, but yeah, but yours is. So we actually have two people that worked with Dave, um, a fellow that did the um, initial, the very initial um, cooking and mashing and everything. And the younger fellow that was sort of the helper, that younger fellow that was the helper at the beginning, he is now our head distiller. And the other fellow, he does, he works, he does a lot of different things at the distillery. He pitches in when you need to. Um, we have a very young group up at the distillery. Um, they're all amazing people in their own right. And um, our operations manager, she was our one of our very first employees. And like I said, the distiller, our head distiller has been there from the beginning. Um, almost everyone, our, our chef is still the same chef we ever had. Our restaurant manager is the first person that came. Um, we've kept best, basically all of our employees. We have a young fellow. His name is Casey Madden. He's 21. Um, he's been with us since he was 15, just doing things, you know, tours and stuff like that. And now he is running the whole warehouse section. He does some, um, he does some of the, our, um, blends and yeah. So we, I mean, we get them young and we keep them there. <laughs> uh, but I think it has to do with the fact that it's a, we're very transparent. People know what's happening. Um, everybody's excited. Everybody um, pushes the other people in a positive direction. And um, it's a, it's a great place to work. So, yeah. It, it must be again, the, the retention is, is, it's remarkable. It's the same, you know, I, I think the right, that's the right word to use there is even I think of some of the great um, distilleries that are coming out of this era. Kings County is usually the one that I look at, not just because I'm also in New York, but because, um, you know, they opened in 2010 or so and they've, Colin is still there. The head guy is still there, but they've cycled through a lot of other roles and seeded other distilleries. Was Nicole there? Yep. Nicole was there. Nicole was with um, Dave out at our place. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and he, you know, Nicole was, uh, yeah, she, she started at Kings County. Right. Uh, and there are um, any number, there are really a, a large number of people who have either worked at Kings County or trained there uh, for a time. And, but those people inevitably, you know, they leave, they go to other distilleries like Nicole going to, um, I don't think she went directly to uh, Cascade Hollow, if I remember, but 
you know, point being that she she did move on to another distillery, but you're not only training the people, but keeping them. Right. Um, to dig a little deeper, is there something about not only the company itself, but the ethos of the area, a different culture that kind of makes people say, you know, I want to stay here. I want to. Well, that is interesting. Um, other than our uh, restaurant manager, our operations manager, our distiller, Casey, um, who's our warehouse guy, our marketing girl, they all are from that area. They're, they're from there. We, we have um, embraced the community and we feel like they have embraced us. And so they don't, maybe they don't want to leave because that's actually their home and they actually love their jobs. We have, we have a good time. Um, as far as the distilling part, we give our distillers some free reign to try different things. As a matter of fact, um, I was there when we were there last week, I was talking to him about a barrel uh, cast finishing that we want to do. And we were presented with a different thing. And I said, would you like to do this? And he said, yeah, I think I'd like to try that. And, and I said, you know, if you want something else, he goes, well, I think I'd like to try this. So we, um, we let him have a say in some of the things. So I think on some craft distilleries, I believe the people that own it are also the distiller or, and, or the marketing person and, or the social media and, or all of it, where for us, we have independent people that are doing that and we let them do their jobs and we applaud them. So if, when we have wins, we applaud those people. I mean, sure. I get a big kick out of it because my husband and I own it, but we didn't do, I didn't make that juice. You know, I, Nate made that juice. You know, he's the one out there. He's the one doing this stuff. And I always give him the credit for it. So he's the one making it. So and maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's, it's certainly worth looking at because when you see loyalty like that, it's especially, I think another point to add in is it's of the, you know, 20s, early 30s generation. I mean, that's, again, we're known, I love the generation. I'm a millennial. You know, we're known for moving around every year and Moving. a half or so. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think we'll lose. I mean, I shouldn't say I don't think we'll lose because God knows somebody could always come in and try to steal them. Okay. And that's always sure. a fear. Okay. Uh, my husband always says, don't tell the names of your people because you want anyone to steal them. But my attitude is, Hey, they they've earned the credit. I'll give it to them. Um, and I would hope that they would never leave us. I would hope they would come to us first if there was an issue and, you know, um, let us try to, I, I wouldn't think it's about money. You know, so it would have to have been some kind of an opportunity. Um, and then we would always um, want them to have the best. But um, we have a great team. When we get up there, we laugh. We have a good time. We it's important and we all get along really well. So that might have something to do with it. It's a you know, our our marketing manager, she's been with us just two years. She's new out of we stole her right out of uh, college. You've written to her, Bethany. Um, I call her JJ for Jimmy John's because when I first met her, she was so freaky fast that I went, you're, you're JJ. So I call her JJ all the time and everybody laughs. But she is and she's amazing and she's young and she's just, you know, incredible. And um, from Portage right there, mm -hmm. 
I, you know, we, we never want to lose her because she has, but she has a great time and all her friends are going, you've got the job of all jobs, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. And she's really cute because when we first interviewed her, we said, well, what do you like to drink? And she goes, well, I'm a college grad, the cheapest beer there is, you know? And, um, but now she's got a great nose. I mean, didn't take long, took two years and she can, she can tell you what's going on with all the whiskeys. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Bethany has been wonderful to work with in, in scheduling and getting um, a bottle of the triflin to, to try. Yeah. And then, you know, after trying the original, cause it was, I try to try the original first. Yeah. Never possible. Now I've got uh, a, um, a seal box pick that you guys did a couple of years ago, actually the marriage number one, I think. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, I have a more recent one that was an apricot finish. Oh, okay. Apricot um, brandy finish. The apricot brandy finish. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. So I've got a, a friend up by your area that uh, it's a big fan and has, I'm pretty sure he introduced me to Driftless Glen uh, just in tasting. And if he didn't, I don't know who else who did. So I'm going to give him the credit anyway. So, uh, so yeah. Bill, thank you very much yeah. for making this happen. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's where we, we did a one of, so he would have bought it at the distillery because we did not distribute that. Uh, the, the apricot brandy one. Um, we did a uh, Naranja, a Vino de Naranja. So it's a barrels that were um, orange sherry out of Sevilla, uh, Spain. And um, we put our bourbon in, we did a bourbon small batch that we put in there. And that just actually won best in class of whiskeys of the world. So um, we're really proud of that one. And again, that was one of the, you, you will be able to see it. We are going to release that one. We are distributing that. Oh, but I think there's only like about seven or nine barrels. Um, mm. Tell Bill to come get some there. We're going to, it's dropping into the distillery in the next couple of weeks. I definitely will. And uh, I can't guarantee to listeners that it will still be available when, when this episode goes live. But if it is, um, I'll call before the episode goes live and, and give you a little update. Okay. Um, the, uh, just before I forget the VDN barrel has become, it's kind of on a, on a upswing right now. Like there are a couple places using it. Well, there's a couple, there's two other places that I know of and that's that, uh, that put bourbon in it. But, um, I believe it was, um, Oh, it's a tequila company. I can't remember which one he told me, um, the, the, the fellow that I get our barrels from. And he said that they just, um, made a deal for 4,000 barrels that they're going to be doing their tequila in this VDN barrel. And, um, so he was like, you, you may have a hard time getting them. Uh, I don't know or whatever, but you know, it's not our core. It's one of those little extras. It won't, it's not the core. So I'm not worried about it. Um, but we do have, we'll get a few more barrels next year and we'll just have it available. You know, I'm excited. Like I said, the, the only other two distilleries I know of that have done it so far, Starlight um, right. over in Indiana and then Penelope and maybe one or two others, but it, they're, they're all smaller releases because I mean, it's a, it's a barrel that no one thought to use until pretty recently. So right. Right. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see where, where it goes, particularly because, and you know, you've, you've tasted VDN and, and you know, what comes oh, yeah. out of VDN barrel. So that flavor can be very overpowering 
with different similarly flavored liqueurs and and wines. And a couple of years ago, um, Curacao finishing went through a little craze. For sure. And I think there was only one thing that I tried that was Curacao finished that was you know, balanced or yeah, it, it always just completely blew out the bourbon or the rye or whatever whiskey was underneath. Um, so even if the Curacao was good and delicious on its own, couldn't tell what was underneath it. Right. So, but no, we um, were, the- we're pretty proud of this one because it, you really can taste it. Um, we've got a couple barrels that we, one of the things we can do because it's just my husband and I that own it. Um, if we get someone that comes to us and said, Hey, will you do a, a, uh, port? I mean, we already have port, but whatever it would be a cognac finished, uh, bourbon. I'll buy the barrel. Will you do it? Absolutely. I'll buy the barrel. So we're one of the few places that if you said, Hey, I want to do such and such, will you do it? Say, yes, we can do it. And, um, I have a person, he's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got six barrels that are aging for him, um, that are all different, unique things that he actually asked us to get. And we did. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me, I won't remember, but I know one of them is a <laughs> cognac and one of them, a, a sonar tea, saunter tea. I can never say that word. Um, and, um, um, there were a couple different things, but he asked. And so we've been, you know, tapping it and seeing how it's going and they're great. So it may be something, those will all go to him, but it may be something that it will say driftless funds, whatever, it'll be an exclusive. Um, but we maybe something we'll do. So that is one of the things that, because my husband and I, we are very nimble. So if someone asks us to do something, we can do it, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Cool. Yeah, it gives me it gives me ideas for the future too. Maybe I'll come go. across a cask or something. Yeah, so. it, especially if you say, "Hey, let's do a random thing. Let's just try it." And we have rye. You know, we have different products. We've put a brandy in a different type of barrel to take try that out too. So mm-hmm. we we play with it and have fun. You know, you've got the rye too. The uh, a pairing that I've really loved that only maybe I think it's one distillery has done consistently is arrive finished in that sauterne barrel mm-hmm. it is something just magical really? it comes out like it comes out like apple pie really um, without an apple pie without being too sweet or cloying you know got enough uh, of the rye spice in there but it is so good um, and i don't know if you've had a chance to try our rye but we have really wonderful rye in, uh, i have not it, it's it's on its i think it's on its way to me actually from um you know, of course, legally from a friend, but um, it's right. on its way. So we have a couple different ryes. Um, couple uh, rye was our first release, our first dark release, because as you know, rye is the first one that you could release as a young whiskey. Sure. And um, cute stories is that when we were first starting, and we were trying to figure out what barrels to release to put a our rye in. We would have, we would go and tap about seven to nine barrels and we'd bring them in for blind tastings and we would all sit there. There were eight of us with nine little tastings at nine o'clock in the morning and you'd have to choose which one. And, you know, our joke would always be, how's your conference table look? Cause this is how ours looked, <laughs> but you know, we would get through it and people would talk about, oh, I like this one. It's, oh, this one's green. This one's, oh, this one's wonderful. And, um, it's amazing what you learn. And, and there are some people that still say, and we, of course we released it at cast strength because a young rye guy 
releasing. So some of them, they were really hot, you know, like 124 or something. And um, there are some people who will call us and say they, they still have a, a bottle of it and they barely touch it because they love it so much and you can't get it. So it's kind of a it's fun, pretty damn thing. delicious to me. I'm going to say <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a proof hound. Um, so I, I do like that high proof stuff. Oh, do you? Um, I do. Yeah. Like I, I can, I appreciate and applaud, especially American whiskeys when you can have one that's let's say lower than hundred proof, mm-hmm. but it still has body and flavor and doesn't taste watered down. I can applaud that. And I mean, frankly, you're the core driftless Glen at 96. Right. Yeah. yeah, does not taste watered down. It no. tastes very flavorful, uh, but it's it's more of an exception than the rule. Usually, for me at least, it needs a little more kick to to have that body and and the oak behind it and all that. So yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a proof fan, particularly with American whiskeys. With other parts of the world, um, especially malt whiskeys, yeah, they tend they tend to have more body at, at lower proofs. Uh, so I don't need a higher proof to get there, but. So, you know, we have a single malt coming out. We did release it once. Um, we had only done so many barrels. We released it and sold out. So we have, I think it's coming out in January. I'm not sure exactly how many barrels we're releasing. Um, but yeah, we have a single American malt. And interestingly enough, I think when we first released it, I want to say, because it's five years, we're waiting to release it at five year. So mm-hmm. our some of our exclusives in that sense so that consider that single malt, even though it's got its own label, we don't have a huge amount of it. So we consider it more of a, a specialty. Um, the, um, okay, lost my brain thought, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, single malt, five-year-old. Oh, five-year. Um, we want to do it in five-year, just like we released this year, a five-year weeded whiskey. Um, a weeded bourbon. We wait for the five years. So we, once we tried it um, about three years ago or so, it won a gold medal in the London Spirits Award. So we went, wow, a single American malt won a gold medal. And all right, maybe we need to put some more of this up. So we did. And so we're slowly but surely, that's how we kind of go by it to see, is it going to be well received by the whiskey world? And is it what they like? And um, so it'll be a five-year come January that we'll be releasing it. So there's another one for your friend to find you. Yes, I will. That one I will definitely be looking at. I'm uh, delicious. If you were to come up to the distillery, we could tap a barrel. You could. I know. I, I need to get up there. I need to visit, visit you guys. Visit Dancing Goat. Visit, yeah. You know, go through Michigan and Wisconsin and just hit all the ones that I want to. You um, should. Yeah. This the single ball in particular. I'm I'm interested. In. I'm. That's my one of my current kicks, I guess, is uh, American Single Malt. And I'm writing for Bourbon Banter about it mm-hmm. more and more. And, you know, as we're recording this, the, the public comment period for uh, the standards of identity proposal has closed. Hopefully in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, um, we'll get something formal. Mm-hmm. But it's an exciting time for American Single Malt. And yeah. there's more and more great American Single Malt coming out. So right. I, I, I really do look forward. I'll, I will make sure that I get at least a sample, if not a bottle of. Uh, I think you'll love it. That. It's a, it's yeah. really lovely. And um, I, like I said, it'll be five year come January. And that's one of the things that, again, being just my husband, and I own it. We can make those decisions to hold 
back and, and not release certain things till five year. I mean, ultimately we'd like everything to be at least five year, but we, we released our five year weeded this year, but we held, I think it was 10 barrels back for it to be 10 year. And then next year we've got another, I think, I don't know how many 50 or more barrels and we're holding another 10. So there won't be a big release at 10 year, but we want to make sure that we have some, if people want a 10 year product and yeah. So, and, and you've got, as you said, you got the flexibility that if you're trying it along those times and you get to, let's say eight years and you're like, this is pretty, this is pretty yeah. good at eight years. Right. You know, I don't think we need to wait the 10. Then you can say, all right, we're going to put it out at eight. Well, you know, it's interesting because we let certain people would tap a weeded uh, barrel when it was like about three years and they were like, release it. It's great. We're like, no, we want to wait till it's five because just that five year mark makes a difference, you know, for a lot of people. So, um, yeah, so we, we've got some fun little things in that, in that warehouse, all kind of waiting in there, you know, waiting to come out. Sure. Now that's perfect segue let's go over to those to those warehouses those rack houses so when again i listened to other podcast episodes to to kind of prepare so the the last one i had heard you had the one already the original one right. um that was not uh you know heat cycled that was just building with barrels right <laughs> and um but since then you had mentioned in that episode that two more were coming that were going to be um, heated or uh, I'm just making sure. Yes. Right. Um, they were going to be heated. Uh, and from what you said earlier, those have now come online. Right. Um, with a fourth one to come. Well, we actually have the fourth one. We, um, the, the second one, we'll call it our bottling house, but it's a bottling house. And um, does we put an automated bottling line in, which still takes three or four people to do an automated bottling line, just which sounds so funny. It's not like you can go poof, but um but that also it's heated and we bring certain barrels in there just to, what we're doing is we're, we're having fun moving barrels around. So sometimes um, they get heated up. And so what we'll do is we'll let that heat for a month and then we'll drop the temperature back down or then bring it back up. So it's this constant flux in the barrel. So you can get that expansion and contraction sort of thing. So it goes in and out. The original rack house, it doesn't have that but it's got doors and what we do is we put fans in there and at different times of the year, you know, we do certain things to try to help it that way. Um, certainly it takes a little bit longer to age, but it ages deliciously. Um, then we, that, that second rack house is full. The third one, we bought a building, which is right next to our building um, that we've renovated and we've sprinklered and heated and everything. And um, it's also going to have barrels in it. Um, but we've put some of our, we put our grains in there and some of our glass and stuff like that. Well, since then we've bought a fourth warehouse, which is about 30 minutes away is as close as we could find. Um, and that is now holding all of our glass, all of our containers, all our, so what we do is we will take barrels up as they're, you know, as we, they get through the, after they've been, uh, the distilling, we'll take the brand new barrels up to the new warehouse and bring back glass or bring it. So we're always going and coming and bringing things back and forth. Um, and the newest, I mean, the oldest barrels will stay in the heated ones so that we can get those faster, but the newer ones 
can be in the cooler or up in the other warehouse. And so we're kind of moving it around. Our plan is to have, um, to always have somewhere between 7,500 and 10,000 barrels aging at a time. So that if we sell, so however many we sell, we want to make sure that we put that much up. So constantly at that number. Um, and that's the sort of the business plan. You never know what happens, but we. Sure. But I'm, I'm throwing back to uh, a couple of episodes ago with RD1 Spirits and um, Barry Brinegar. And he introduced me to the phrase, the liquid strategy. Yeah. And it's become very clear in both listening to other episodes and also just talking to you now that you and Brian have a very clear liquid strategy, you know, that allows yeah. for, you know, you've got the flexibility in there too, but you know, you're in it for the long haul. You're planning for the long haul, five, right. 10 years out. Right. And if it certainly sounds too, like, you know, there's no, there's no intention to be bought out to be. Nope. No, that wasn't it. No. And I think that's also one of the things that gives our employees security they know that's not what we're in for. Um, we have we have no investors. We have no debt. Um, we don't. We so we're in a unique position, um, and our employees know that we're in it because we love it. And as we do, the better we do, the better they do. So there's bonuses. Um, even when we were going through COVID, everybody got big, nice, big bonuses because we appreciated them coming in and still working and working through the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we, have a, we have a plan. You know, plans can be disrupted, but we do have a plan of attack. How's that? Yeah. Hey, it's, it's more than a lot of places have, honestly. And, and you well, know, Barry the was things, the, he was you know, the guy who opened my eyes to that. So. One of the things that um, we did make a decision in the beginning and we have changed a little was that we put up, we decided to put up more rye than bourbon in the beginning, not more rye, but equal, I should say equal. But as the years have gone on, we've realized that though when people try our rye, if they are rye aficionados, they go, oh my God, it's some of the best ever. But there aren't a lot of rye drinkers. So you have a much larger bourbon base than rye. So it's, it's almost 80 to 20 or 75 to 25 bourbon to rye. So in the last little bit, we haven't been putting up as much rye as we have bourbon. And we have, we have a couple different ryes actually. Um, we have a rye called our 51. It's a Maryland style rye and um, We've won all kinds of awards with that one. It won the Distillery of the Year Award because of that. And it's a, um, it was a happy mistake. So it was one of those sort of things where we, I can tell you the, the story, but it was, it was not planned. And it was a happy mistake. And so now we, we actually put up that rye formula all the time. <laughs> if it works. I mean, yeah. So that's, so that you have the 51% rye. What's uh, the other rye you have? Um, it's just our regular rye. And if you want to know, I was going to say, I can probably tell you the difference of the um, formulas. I knew you were going to ask me something, but um, our, our, our regular rye is 75% rye and 25% malted barley. But our 51 rye is, 
Of course, am I going to have it? It is, you know, it's only, yeah, I don't have it with me. Um, it's 51% rye and the rest corn, I believe. I think, I mean, I think that's what it is. And um, what had happened was we, when we first started, we wanted to do a, um, a flavored rye whiskey to get the young generation to try it. So it was called rock and rye and we did it like rock and roll. So it was vanilla spice, cherry cola, root beer and orange riff. You know, so it was all with rock and roll and this whole thing. So um, we did a, a new formula. It had to be a, um, a high rye, meaning a um, high proof rye, that high proof. And so we did it and it, we got about nine barrels. We took a little bit of the rye and we sent it off to a flavoring company to play with flavors. So um, what do we do? We stuck that rye in barrels. Well, they lost the sample. So we had, to, we never, we didn't save any. So we did another run. And of course we had another nine barrels and we send it off. Uh, this time we didn't like any of the flavors they did. So do you think we learned the first time? No, we didn't save any. So we did a third run and finally we did get it and we made the product. Um, and it was pretty good, but the distributors didn't really want it because it was a, a shooter drink. It was like a $20, a bottle drink for kids, you know, and it was not a big deal. They didn't really want to promote it. So it got trashed about two years into those 27 barrels sitting in the rack house. We said, Hey, let's taste that. And we went, Whoa, that's really good. And now we put up 100, 150 barrels of that every year, just of that product because of what it, so we call it our, our happy mistake because it, it was one of those. Yeah. You mentioned also the, you know, the breakdown of the bourbon to rye drinkers, which, you know, obviously can't argue with. That seems to be the case everywhere. But I'm curious if you see a little bit more of a rye drinking population just because of where you're located and so you have so much rye growing and well that's one of the nice things too our rye is all from the midwest you know a lot of people that do rye they get it from canada or overseas and that's where they get their grains our grains are all everything we do is is from the midwest locally um what i find is when you have bourbon groups come to do a tasting to pick barrels we always throw them a few rye barrels and invariably they buy a rye barrel Invariably, they love our, our rye is loved by the whiskey geeks. And if you like a high proof, you probably love our rye because it's a, it's a real, it's one of those, it's really special. Um, so, but I, I don't think that you see more of it up there. What I, what I will say is that we'll make drinks with it, try to get people to try it because people automatically don't want to try rye. They just think it's going to be too, too hot, too peppery, too something. And then I'll say to them, just try it. You know, I'll bring little samples out and they'll go, oh, that's really good. So, um, yeah. But I think that's what it is. I think it's a misnomer with rye. I can believe that. It, it's, 
I'm, I'm glad to see the rise still going on its resurgence. I mean, it's, I think it's entering its second decade of really resurgence, but right. still plenty of room to go to catch up with the bourbonites. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So uh, with that, there are a couple of different ways I want to go here. I'm deciding which way to go. Um, while I decide that, I'll throw you a very weird question that came out okay. of nowhere, which is um, knowing what you're built next to, have you had any poltergeists? <laughs> no, we haven't. Isn't that funny? And you know, you're coming up on Halloween and I always say to our crew, come on, we're in Barra, boo. Can't we do something with a boo? And you know, the po, nah. I can't get those guys in now. Nah, I know they just kind of give me the poo poo, but um, no poltergeist, but you know, there are supposedly areas all around us where they've seen orbs and all kinds of stuff. You know, they have the people that come by and say the ghost people and say, oh, right up here in the corner, there's this and you see that. I've never witnessed it. I can believe it. I can believe it. Look, poltergeist scared the crap out of me when I was young. So I, I'm not sure I could watch it again, but I do love the references. Uh, and with and with the with the boo theme as well. I mean, I think it's just so natural. And I think the first thing I thought of honestly was that Smoke Wagon does like a new bottle for every holiday. They had a St. Patrick's Day one. They had a Halloween one that was black and orange with a little purple in there. They had a Fourth of July that was red, white, and blue. I'm like, they can do it. You guys could certainly do it. I know, right? Just, just a night, you know, it could be the, the same core bourbon or rye, but just, you know, a special bottling condition or something like that. You know, nothing that would take too much investment necessarily, but something that'd be fun. And yeah. like I said, work off the name and the location. Right. Right now, you know, we are doing something with our bottle. Um, I'll segue into that is that uh, it's a month of October for breast cancer awareness. So we are, our bourbon, our small blend, our, our, um, our small blend is a, uh, goes pink for the month of October. So we have a label that changes and it's like hot pink. Um, and $3 from every bottle goes to cancer, um, a center within the state. So within Wisconsin, if you buy a bottle in Wisconsin, it stays in Wisconsin. If you buy it in Florida, it stays in Florida. Then we have a QR code on the neck tags and you can see just how much money is going to which area and where it's going. And if you happen to, yeah, if you happen to come up to our distillery, we did a, we did a launch, a, you know, a, a pink party, we call it on the 27th of September to let people know it's coming out. And we had all kinds of prizes and everything, but we have a, a hot pink barrel. I mean, hot pink and it's got our name on it and everything. And everyone that comes in that buys a bottle of pink signs the barrel for whoever they, you know, for whoever. And um, there's black Sharpies on there and you just, whoever wants to sign it can. And I was up there the other day and I was looking at the barrel and it's like, you know, 15 year survivor and they write on there and all. So it's really cool. What we're gonna do with that pink barrel, I'm not sure. Um, I think we might try to donate it to a cancer center if they want it or something like that. But um, just kind of a awareness. And last year was our first year. I think we donated close to 15, $16,000 to different cancer uh, research. Oh. And hopefully this year it'll be a lot more. So yeah, we go pink for October. I mean, it's incredibly impressive and obviously a good cause. Uh, and I think you, if you hold on to that barrel, you know, next year you can uh, certainly, you know, put it up for kind of a donation auction. 
Maybe, yeah. You know, someone to either sponsor it and say, we're donating it on behalf of this thing to a center or to a hospital or something. That could easily be done. You know, and on the 27th, anybody that came in, um, we did our bottling. We, we had already bottled it, but we didn't label the bottles. So if you wanted to come in and put someone's name on the label, um, cause it says bottled by, but you know, of course it wouldn't, you, they didn't bottle it, but if you wanted to say bottled by Josh, um, or, or Sarah or whoever, um, you could. And so people bought bottles as gifts to people that were survivors or going through it and it may not open it, but you know, they'll have it. They have their name on it and that sort of thing. So it was kind of a fun night, um, emotional for sure, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Fantastic. I love bourbon for a cause or whiskey for a cause. Right. It always makes you smile. Yeah, it does. Hey, whiskey ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. This month's focus, their October distillery dive, is distillery number five. This famous lowland distillery will show you something completely different, and you've probably never had before. This isn't your floral and fruity space side, but it's also not that smoky, sometimes medicinal and maritime isla. It's truly unique and in a category and region all its own. The distillery dive bottlings were announced on October 11th, so you might still find some available. If not, keep an eye out. There are always more bottles coming from this distillery and others, and always new journeys to explore. There are also currently five fall bundles available, packaging multiple bottles together from sometimes the same and sometimes different distilleries into a discounted set for you to discover. Remember to use the promo code WRP for 20% off your annual membership, and you can visit the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society website to sign up and order via the link in the show notes. Glenallachie Whiskey is a true space cider whose full name means Valley of the Rocks in Gaelic. Led by master distiller Billy Walker, Glenallachie put out some of the most interesting single-cast bottlings in the entire region this year. This month, for November, we've got three releases to talk about. First up is the Glenallachie 2010 Cask 4635. This U.S.-exclusive single cask is finished in a Napa Valley wine barrel for three years. This non-show-filtered bottling rolls in at a hefty 59.9% ABV and comes with a hand-numbered bottle and display box. There are 306 700ml bottles available, and again, exclusive only to the United States. The second release is cast 7666, barreled in 2009 and bottled in 2022. This 12-year single cask was finished in a Madeira Barrique for just about three years and carries a 59.2% ABV. This also comes with a hand-numbered gift box and bottle, and there are just 298 bottles available. The third bottle, and perhaps the most interesting one for me, is cask 3713. This 13-year single cask is finished in a sauterne barrel for three years and bottled at 58.2% ABV. I found recently I love sauterne finishes. It's an underused white wine, and I'm really excited to see what more companies do with it. This one is no exception. With just 291 bottles available, this one's going to go quickly, so grab yours before you miss out. You can check out more details about these U.S. exclusive bottlings through the links in the show notes and talk to your local store to make sure you never miss out on the newest Glenallachie single barrels. 
If you need help finding these bottles in particular, shoot me an email. Happy to help you experience these incredible single cask offerings. Thank you again to Impex Beverages for being our presenting sponsor. And now back to the show. All right. And we're back from a little break. So again, we're talking with Renee from Driftless Glen Distillery up in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And, you know, we're talking about not only the spirit and the ethos of the property and the ethos of the company and, and how decisions are made, which, you know, if you're a long-time listener, you know, I'm fascinated with the whys of why things happen. And uh, with that, I wanted to jump back to the land itself. So sure. the Driftless Glen area, right. named that way for a reason. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Renee, uh, but I want to just ask, you know, of course, what the Driftless Glen means, but also, you know, what does that do to the, to the whiskey, to the aging process as well? So, you know, everybody always talks about Kentucky bourbon and they say it's because of the water, the water. Well, Baraboo, the drip, we are at the edge, at the end of what they call the driftless region. So the glaciers, when they melted and they came down, they, they ran through, the water runs through about 700 feet of sand and limestone. It's its own aquifer. It's just the water is sweet and delicious. So as we all know, when the spirit comes off of the still at whatever proof, we put it in our barrels at 117. That's, our, that's what we put our bourbon in. Um, the way to cut it is with water. And so our water is sweet and delicious. I do believe that has something to do with the difference in the taste along with the 44 foot continuous column, you know, it's, it's all the different elements. People can say, well, you use the same grain as someone else and use the same this, but you know, you add the water and you add the, the size of the still and the way it works and stuff and your product tastes different. So um, we chose Baraboo because of the water and we are actually right on the Baraboo river. We are the only place you can have a drink or food on the Baraboo river. And um, we're right, actually right next to Circus World Museum. So there was, a, there was a time there where they would have the tigers and you could be sitting out on the patio and, and watch the tigers pacing back and forth, but not this year. <laughs> not this year. So what, um, what is the, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the you can get a really hot part of the summer and really, really cold parts in the winter too. But in general, you know, what is the climate like over the course of a year there? Um, well, it drops down... I don't know, way below zero. And then it's, it can get up to a hundred. But the other thing is we are on the river, which I was saying. And so you get a fog and a mist that comes off the river at certain times of the year. So I, our rack houses are open, even though they're not heated, that water comes in and it kind of blankets the barrels and there's this moisture. And so there's all kinds of different elements that happen within the rack house. So when I was telling you earlier about how we tasted those rye barrels, it was interesting how, again, we get nine to 10 barrels for, for every run. Um, what was it, 20 months, 22 months in, we taste it. We might taste a barrel, two barrels within the same run. And they're so totally different in taste because of where they were sitting in the rack house and what was happening in the rack house. So it's always fun to, 
to taste and see. And I mean, it's in the same barrel, it's on the same run, it's on the same day, it's, but they taste different. Um, it's just that expansion and contraction going into the barrels. And um, so we're very careful. We, we do our blends, we taste everything and um, they're small batch. They're like um, 25 barrels or so. So they're not a big batch and we each blend is similar, but not the same. It's really good. Yeah. Tasting to you're, you're blending rather to what tastes good. And it, as long as it's along the profile. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, you know, and no two are exactly the same and you'll taste one and go, Oh, wow, this is a great one. And then, you know, this batch was batch number, whatever 50 was awesome. And then, Oh, 51 was great. Different. You know, um, you said you had the first marriage, you got a bottle by first marriage. That was actually a, a person who, who blended two rye barrels together. He chose two different rye barrels and blended it and called it a first marriage. And so um, it was really, he bought both barrels and it was great. And they've done a second and they've done a third, <laughs> but we, we joke, go, how many marriages do you want to have? <laughs> At least there's no divorce yet. True. True. Right. Was that a, I don't know. I should have brought the bottle out because I don't have it in front of me, but um, that was MLWS or MWLS. Yes. Was, yes, yes. It's Reed. Yes. Reed's group. Um, yes. I say his name wrong. Beetle, Biddle, something. Yeah. That's yes. All right. They've done, they don't do a lot of picks. Honestly, compared to some other groups who are doing like a pick right. a week. It's insane. Right. Um, they don't do a lot of picks, but the picks that I've had from them are consistently just spectacular. Uh, they've picked quite a few from us and and reads few because he said he'll call me and he'll say hey you know don't forget about me and I, I was there in your beginning i go i'll never forget about you. you you call us and we'll get you a barrel and again that's one of those nimble things we can do in the sense of if you called me and you needed a barrel pick and you wanted it you know in the next little bit we can do that for you that's, that's the other nice thing where some of the bigger places or other places, they can't get it to you for six months or more. So, yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. So. It could take you six months to get into the distillery and then another six months to get it. Right. Right. Yeah. Not us. We're pretty. And if you come up there with a group, we have a good time. We have a room and you, you know, you get to try different, I don't know how many, um, tastings you know i mean how many barrel tastes depends on what you want and whatever but we usually do three four different barrels and everybody always finds something and we have a good time trust me and then we say hey try this or try that they have they always have fun of course i i look forward to I, i'm hoping and this is a bit of a teaser for uh, for the audience i'm hoping to be able to do single barrels pretty soon great um like maybe within the next six months or so which in this world is pretty soon uh, so I, I'm making a list, a short list of kind of the first ones I want to go to. And, uh, yeah, Triflis Guinness is on that list for sure. And that's really because, you know, I haven't been there to, to have that experience, but what you're describing is what I've heard from people who go on these picks, you know, it's not like you're saying, oh, we had such a great time and the other, and the people coming out are like, it was fun, but like there's a little, but no, they're all saying, yeah, we had a great time. We tried this. As you said, we were surprised by the rye. Didn't expect that. Got a barrel of that. Uh, so it's something that I definitely want to pursue because when you hear that, it's a beautiful thing. And especially for, you know, admittedly a smaller 
group uh, like I've got right now, it's fine that I'm not going to get into Four Roses, Heaven Hill, like, you know, these huge distilleries. um, And that's fine. There's plenty of picks out there. Right. I would rather, yeah, I'd rather do one, frankly, from someone like Driftless Glen, where it's, it's different. It's still, it's excellent whiskey. It is is excellent. And you're going to have, we had some people come up from Atlanta that did a barrel pick for a, um, a cause. And they, I think they ended up buying three barrels, but he said, we're from Atlanta. He goes, you have Southern hospitality up here. We, we have such a good time and they've come back every year and picked more barrels because they just, are you going to be there? We want to make sure you're going to be there. You have fun. And again, like I said, if you have a couple people, we know everyone likes to have just a random experience in the sense of we're walking through the rack house. Hey, you guys want to taste something aging? Can't have it, but you can taste something. And, and part of that is just to expose ourselves to say, look, here's what we're, we're, we've got this aging. It it might be what you consider a tickler, but it's also something to look at you and go, well, what are you thinking? And people are like, oh my God, that's going to be so great. I, I can't wait to try it when it's, you know, five years old or whatever. But it's also just the experience of having them, you know, drill into the barrel, grab the sample, you're tasting it straight from the barrel, like you would love it because it's, it's hot, you know, but you can appreciate it. Yeah. And so everybody always has a good time. And, um, and plus, you know, we have a great restaurant, so we have good food on top of it and we have great drinks. Yes. I've, so I've got it. We've got to talk about the restaurant. Okay. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit, uh, just between you and me in this, in the sponsor break, which is there's a, a big, big elephant in the room or not in the room as it were. Um, so I'm going to put it in your words. Mm-hmm. And this is from when you were on the bourbon show. on ABC. Okay. okay. So um, I forget whether it, it was um, basically which host asked the question. I'm friends with both of them, which is bad because now I can't remember who it was. <laughs> But they were asking about it and they said, but right, you know, I've heard you don't have a fryer in the restaurant. And your answer was like, you know, you want distillery cuisine. You want it to be a certain way, but you also know that it is wild and sacrilegious was the word you used to not have a fryer in a restaurant in Wisconsin. And not in Wisconsin, especially, you know, Fridays are fish fry and this fry and fried cheese curds and French fries and everything fried, you know, and, and it's so funny because when we tell people we don't have a deep fryer, people don't believe us. They're kind of like, you can't be in Wisconsin and have that. Um, but we are a unique restaurant and we are being um, touted for that. I'll, I'll give a little bit to our restaurant. The last couple Saturdays, we've, we've done over 600 people every Saturday in our wow. restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really getting um, people know if they want to have a good meal and it's not like a la carte, like, Oh, if you get a steak, I, I hate to throw someone under the table, but I'll just use Morton's. But if you buy more, you go to Morton's, you get a steak, you have to buy the potato or you have to buy the asparagus, you have to buy the salad. You, have to, you come to our place and you order a meal and it's a beaut- and it's a beautiful display um, presentation and the whole thing. And it's either, they either use our spirits or they're using our oils and vinegars. 
in the in the recipes. So there, it's always unique. It's different. Our chef comes up with new recipes for every season, and they test them out on us. We get to have the fun of testing them out. Um, and soups are all homemade. Desserts are amazing. Our bourbon bread pudding is, you know, to die for. It's unbelievable. And our portions are huge. So nobody's going to say they walked away and they're not full. And, um, and our drinks are fabulous. Because guess what? We're a distillery. So we give a nice pour to our drink. <laughs> so that's not one of the things we have to skip on. We make the whiskey. So um, it's a, uh, where we're unique in Wisconsin is you have to, you can only serve what you make other than the beer license we have. So you can't buy in wine and you can't buy, we don't have tequila or we don't have rum. We don't have those drinks. So we've done a lot of R and D and we, we can make a, a mean margarita with our double cast gin. So we have come up with all kinds of great drinks using our vinegars and the different um, spirits that we make. And we, we give a pretty good drink. Yeah. I, you know, I heard you describe that margarita in particular, and I, I've got to know a little bit more about how, how you make the vinegars work. Cause I, I think of vinegar and immediately I think of probably white vinegar, apple cider. It's just all right. sourness. Um, maybe with well, the like exception a, of a balsamic. Right. Well, you these know. are balsamics and they are like, we have um, uh, black cherry vinegar. So we use that in our, our old fashions. And we have, we actually have a lemon um, and it's used in our lemon drop martinis. And we have a green apple and it's used in our green apple martinis. And we have a chocolate and it's used in, so we have all different types and you just have to use a tiny little bit, but it adds that different flavor. Um, the margarita, we do a, a great jalapeno margarita too. And it's, um, but we have a double cast gin. So we, we do a gin run and we put half of it in a new bourbon, in a new oak barrel and half in a spent bourbon barrel. And in a year we blend it. And so it's a dark gin and we use that gin for our margaritas. And it's amazing. And you know, you walk by and some people will be like, oh, I'm not gonna have a gin margarita. So lots of times I'll walk around and I give people samples. I say, oh, would you like to try something? They'll be like, wow, that's a great margarita. Never made with tequila though. So like you say, if you're not an, if you're not an agave spirit person, this is your kind of margarita. I would definitely try it. That's one of the few cases where I do like them because, <laughs> because it's, but honestly, because it's covered up, it doesn't taste right. like, you know, so, but I, I really want to taste these because I, I'm, I haven't really gotten into the world of bitters or Amaros at all. I know the basics, but that's about it. Uh, but, but some in, bitters have alcohol and we can't use those. Right. Right. So even, even more so. With alcohol. Yeah, we can't use anything with alcohol in it. So that's why we do what we do. And um, like I say, we have a lot of R&D and every month we come up with three or four new drinks for the, for the month. Um, drink specials and the bartenders are back there and they play with certain things. Um, when I was just up there, we have a a pumpkin something martini and it's made with our vodka but it's made with some kind of pumpkin and cream it was awesome <laughs> i was like oh, okay 
I need it after dinner because it's kind of a sweet one, but it was fabulous. And they just came up with it and cinnamon and all kinds of stuff. It was wonderful. I mean, you can't go September or October without a pumpkin. Something. I mean, right. that, that would be equally sacrilegious, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, we had to train everybody up there in the area. They don't even ask for fried stuff anymore. I mean, people don't. They, they appreciate the, um, we have cheesy orzo or we have a type, you know, the sides versus French fries. And every once in a while, we still get someone to say, because we have hamburgers and stuff like that. And they'll say, oh, French fries. I'm like, no. What do you mean, no? Sweet potato fries? No. <laughs> Cheesy orzo? <laughs> um, you know, uh, Cajun potato salad? Uh, so it's all it's all good. Yeah, it's all healthy. I would love to try. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm still, if I'm going to Wisconsin, I'm still going to get those cheese curds and the custard and all that. But I yes. am happy to take a break for a meal with a good drink. And yeah. again, I, I've got to try the, I just need to try the, the drinks with the vinegars because I haven't heard anybody do that before. And I've had the pleasure of talking to a bunch of people who are trained in mixology or cocktails, however you want to call it. I can't recall anyone purposefully swapping out those other ingredients for, right. you know, for that without the purpose of, you know, you have to do that. But if so you're in a bar you in New York, know, you don't have actually to. Actually, our um, Bethany today posted an old fashioned recipe which shows the vinegar. And um, we post all of our recipes online so you can see how much vinegar and how much to use of whatever. And um, we do, we, yeah, we actually have all our mixology online for people to get. And when you come to the distillery, people will love a drink. And we have gift bags that have all the different ingredients in it. So you don't have to go searching for it. Cause you know, they, that's a issue. They're like, Oh, where am I going to find this? So we have a little gift bag and the whole thing, especially for the holidays. It's great. I love it. And I should shout out to, I mean, you mentioned it earlier with the type of people that you have worked for you. Uh, the distillery social media team is excellent. Yeah, I know. Top notch. Um, we're seeing them more and more nowadays with distillery, which I'm, I'm happy about. I'm glad to see them engaging, but it's one thing to post well, which you do, but it's also great that, you know, whether it's Bethany or, or someone else, like there's engagement too. It's know? Bethany. Bethany's the girl doing all the posting and she has fun and she's, um, coming up with all sorts of stuff. Casey, the fellow is telling you that's 21. He built his own um, dr drone. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing some things with the drone. I have, you know, I've joked with him and I say, I have these great ideas. You should take the drone and you should drop it down into the right above the fermenting tank. And, and he's like, what if it falls in? I'm like, don't let it fall in the fermenter. <laughs> but, you know, just kind of some fun, different, things because people like that. And I'm like, guys, you're young, go have a good time with it and whatever you, so I saw one today she did. And, um, and she's done a lot lately that have been just, they just, you make you smile and it's her. Yeah. It, yeah. It's excellent. I mean, I, I look to nothing more than, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself someone who's like, Oh my God, they're getting reached out to by no, no, that's, that's not at all, but I reached out. Just a simple Instagram message. I saw some mess some posts that I really liked. Yeah, I had heard about it from my friend Bill. I reached and said, "Hey, I would love to to try to talk at some point." And easily within a day, probably sooner than that, um, there was a response. And 
even if her response is no, that's fine. It's there's engagement, there's attention being paid to it. In this case, the response was yes. And I'm very glad that we're having this conversation because of it. But that engagement shows you care about not only this side of it, but also the community at large who Absolutely. across the country and all that. So it's it's appreciated as a consumer and as a fan that Thanks. there's engagement. We are very accessible. I mean, if people, if they call and they want to speak with me, they get me. They want to speak to Brian. They get you. You don't have a problem reaching out and getting us. We are very, very accessible because uh, we understand that's what it's about. You know, people want when they come into this distillery, you know, I will um, I'll go up. I'll talk when I'm there. I'll go around every table. I'll talk to people. I'll say thank you for coming. Appreciate you supporting us and that sort of thing. Um, a cute story is that. Um, I don't know how to use the cash register. I mean, they've just never shown me. It's not like I'm stupid and I can't do it, but they, I think they do it on purpose. They never show me and I've never asked. So sometimes I'll come up and I'll say to people, I'll, I'll notice there's someone working in the retail. They're looking at something. So I always go up and say, hi, how are you? Can I help you? Yes, let me do. And then I walk in the back and I bring it over there and I go, I'm sorry, I own the place, but they don't let me touch the cash. So let me go get someone that can do it. And invariably they'll look at me and they just start laughing, shaking their head. Like that can't be true. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Renee. So and they'll be like, Oh, but they like the fact that I'm transparent that, Hey, I'd run you at the cash register. They don't let me touch the buttons. <laughs> but it's funny. But you're there in the shop to have, or in the oh, restaurant absolutely. to have people talk to. And I talk to everybody. There's, there's, if someone wants to, you know, they come in and they want to ask for us. If Brian and I are there in the tent, we always go out. We talk to everyone. If they're on tour, we'll, if we walk outside to the distillery, we talk to the people on tour. We, we buy people drinks at the bar. I mean, whatever it is, it's, you know, it's our, it's our baby. So like I said to you in the beginning, he's a car dealer and I'm, I'm an artist, but together we built Driftless. So it's our baby together and we love it. So that's why when you ask, are we ever going to sell it? It's, it's not about that. It's never been about that. It's about us building something that's lasting and hopefully people love it and will continue to buy it and, and keep, be able to keep our doors open. <laughs> yeah. well, and that, that'd be the, uh, my last question for you, which, uh, Clearly, it doesn't seem like you're having trouble keeping the doors open, which is a great thing to hear. Knock wood, of course. Um, but going back to the very beginning, you said that basically you're you're distilling under capacity mm -hmm. for what you could do with the still for sure. structure. Um, and I know part of that capacity is is just how much room you have in the warehouse, <laughs> you know, how many barrels you can have. But uh, with that said, do you have people? Um, who have asked to contract is still on your we have, we have um we haven't done that and the reason we haven't done it is because again let's go back to the thing that we didn't source and this is our product so really don't want to put out a product whether it's even their formula that would be out there that is we made you know if if you want us to contract for something else, we can make it, we'll sell it ourselves. So we, luckily we're in a position now where we don't have to do that. There was a time, and we never did it, but as I say, there was a time in the beginning, this is such a capital intensive um, business in the first, I'd say four or five years. 
And that's what most people don't understand is what it takes because just to put up the barrels, to buy the barrels, to buy the grain, to do the distilling, if you have bought all the equipment and then to let it age for that amount of time, but you're still distilling, it's, it's very capital intensive. So, um, you know, there was a time there where we were putting a lot of money in every month. We haven't done that for quite a few years now, which is really nice, but it's, it is a very difficult business on that level. And going on a different tangent is that um, what people don't really realize, I mean, maybe the other way does, but with the three tier system, if you are a smaller distillery, unless I know people that only do maybe a hundred barrels a year. Okay. It's not a lot. Um, you figure if it's, you get 40 cases out of a barrel, what is that? That's 400 cases. You know, you know, 4,000 cases. It's not a lot. That would be all of your, that would deplete you completely. Right. 4,000 cases. Well, a lot of distributors don't want to pick up a distillery that only has hundred barrels a year because it, it doesn't behoove them. So this is one of those weird businesses that as a supplier, you could get caught dead in the water if you don't have, if you're not big enough. I know that sounds weird, but it's almost like if you're small, you could, you get hurt because you can't produce. Sure. It's a tough it's thing. Yeah. It goes back to the liquid strategy. You've got to have enough to you know, keep keep the money coming in at first to keep right. you afloat and then right. keep it sustainable going forward. Right. And that's what we, luckily we've done that. We've, um, like I said to you, you know, we didn't get any investors and that, and that was for a reason. We wanted that to be for just when Brian and I have a, dis- if, like if you called me at, at the end of this and you call me and go, hey, Renee, I want to come up, you know, next week, you know, and I need you to do da da da. I can say, okay, I can do it. I don't have to go through a group, a, a group of people and go to a, a board meeting and ask for, <coughs> excuse me, and ask for permission to do certain things. We're nibble and can do anything we want. And that was the reason we did it. And I think it makes it an easier place to work for us. And even for our employees is everybody's excited about it. We know, you know, you want to do something, we can do it. So, Fantastic. yeah, it's a different, it is a different, I know. So it's different, but it's different, but it works. And that's, that's really work. all that matters at the end of the day. Right. So Renee, thank you so much for taking the time tonight to talk on this episode. Um, uh, you know, we'll have links for all the social media, the website, um, any special releases in the show notes when this episode goes live. Uh, and of course, reviews of products as well that I've gotten to taste. Uh, hang on with me for a second after we stop recording. Sure. And uh, thank you all for, for listening. I want to just point out we are recording in October. I think this episode is going to come out in November, but there are currently five spots left on the Patreon bottle share group. So keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out for some uh, big news coming in the next couple of months. So let's leave it at that right. as a teaser. There you go. So, uh, so, you know, you can uh, support at patreon.com. You can support by leaving a five-star rating review. Um, if we're not on a podcast platform that you're listening to, first off, not sure how you're hearing this in the first place, but, um, <laughs> you know, let me know. We'll get on that platform. And after that, cheers. Have a good drink. I'll see you next week. 
Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Same here. Same here. Thanks.